we're talking about S-E-X this morning. And the room got deathly quiet when I said that. Last Sunday morning, if you were here, we announced in both services what we would be talking about. What I'm fixing to tell you is the absolute truth. I am, I'm an exaggerator. That's part of my spiritual gifting. But I had some, some people in the first service pushing 90 years old. One man came up to me, and he said, So are you going to talk about sex next week? And I said, Yes, sir. He said, I vaguely remember that. <laughs> truth. Precious lady came up to me after church last week, and she said, you're going to talk about sex? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, why don't we sing Precious Memories at the end of the first service? (laughs) You don't know what that song is, YouTube it when you get home. But we are going to talk about sex this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. And it is a hot potato because the world has a lot of views on it. We have views on it. And here's what the church has done for years. Nothing. We've just been silent. The only thing we've said about sex is don't do it. And that's real helpful, isn't it? Well, that, that's a positive thing to some extent, but we need a lot more instruction than we have been given, I'm afraid. But let's begin with this. Sex is God's idea. I'm not sure the people in the church I grew up in believe that, but it really was. Hugh Hefner, you don't know who he was, was a magazine guy, sex magazine guy. He didn't invent sex. The internet didn't invent sex. TV didn't invent sex. God did. In verse uh, 15 and 16 of 1 Corinthians 6, it says, don't you realize your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? He's talking about sex. Never. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute or anyone, they become one in body with this person. For the Scripture says the two are united into one. The Scripture there is Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Way over in the beginning of the Bible, it says, This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united to one. You hear that? I said that at a wedding last night. You've become one flesh. That one flesh is a spiritual thing. It's a theological thing when a couple gets married. It's a, it's a, a psychological thing, but it is a sexual thing. Folks, God was the one who came up with the idea of sex. For intimacy, for pleasure, for procreation, for oneness, and uh, several other things that we'll see later in the sermon. But it's God's idea. Number two, coming from that, sex is a very powerful thing. Sex is a very powerful thing. That's why I think the church, we've blown it through the years because we haven't addressed it. We've been afraid of it. We've let the neighborhood people, we've let magazines, we've let everybody else. Sex is very powerful. Again, verse 16, don't you realize that if a person joins himself to a prostitute, if you have sex with someone, you become one with them in body. The scripture says the two are united into one. In verse 18 through 20, run from sexual sin. No other sin, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body, if you're a Christian, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was given to you by God. You belong to God, not yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Sex is of God, but sex is a very powerful thing. Neuroscience is a brain science, and we're learning so many things about 
about the brain, things we haven't heard and known for years, they'd certainly go just go right in hand in glove because God's the author of all truth. And scientists tell us when, when, when someone has sex, and that can be, we're not going to go into details, that can be a married couple, that can be a single, uh, single people, that can be what's going on on the Internet, that a, that a neurotransmitter called oxytocin is released in your brain, in your body during the sex act, and it is one that creates a bonding, that bonds you with someone or something. And that's God intended that as a very powerful bonding thing for a married couple. He didn't intend for you to be bonded with a lot of the things we get bonded with sexually. Scientists tell us when sex is taking place that a chemical reaction is happening in your brain that's similar to taking an opiate. In other words, it's a, it's a highly pleasurable thing, not only physically, but psychologically and mentally. It's a powerful thing. Let me read to you. This was on, in the Daily Wire last year. It, this is unbelievable. It's about pornography, but to me it's more about the power of sex. In one year, 2016... We dedicated well over four and a half billion hours to watching porn on one porn site. This is just from one porn site. On that single website, humanity spent twice as much time viewing porn in one year as, as humans have spent existing on planet Earth. The site had over 90 billion video views and 44 visitors every minute of every day, if you can imagine. It adds up to over 500,000 years of porn consumed in the span of 12 months. Since 2015, human beings have spent 1 million years watching porn. Porn seems to be America's favorite pastime. The porn industry is worth, this is just the legal industry, by the way, is worth $97 billion, which is about 100 times higher than it was 20 years ago when it was about $750 million. Today, pornography grosses more in a year than Hollywood. It also brings more money in one year than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball do combined. The power of sex. Sex is powerful. See, that, that's very important. Everything that we're going to say or that God's going to say to us. Sex is God's idea. Sex is a very powerful thing. God intended for it to be a very bonding and emotionally uniting thing in a certain context. So here's the third thing. Sex is meant to have very clear boundaries. It's meant to have clear boundaries. I like the word fences. Fences can be a bad thing. I mean, you can fence up something, an animal or a person psychologically or whatever, where they, there's no movement, it's no life. But fences are also great things. I like the fence around my yard. It protects my dog. It lets me know that if someone's weird enough to come in that without me letting them, that maybe I need to pray hard for them. Send Cindy out to deal with them, Whatever. But fences are, are meant to protect, and, and, and God says, look, sex is, sex is a wonderful thing, but it has very clear boundaries. You know, some of you may be saying, and I told them in the first service, well, this doesn't apply to me. Oh, it does. <laughs> oh, it does. Some of you hopefully are going to have great sex life in the future in the right context. Some of you are married now, and you need to hear everything we're going to say. Some of you need to have this conversation. I'm giving you I'm laying a foundation for you to take it to the next level with your kids when you get home or with your grandkids. My parents' generation were great in many ways, but at least where I grew up, they failed telling us about this stuff. So that's why it's so important. It's so powerful. Now, here's the context that, that this first was written. 
God used Paul to write 1 Corinthians. It was an early letter. It was probably about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. So all this is Jesus' world, too, by the way. Corinth was an interesting city. It was a very cultured place. It was a, a very diverse place, which is wonderful. A lot of wealth, which is great. But it was also extremely immoral. Probably the most famous place in Paul's day in the city of Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite, the, the goddess of sex. They said at the temple of Aphrodite, you would go to worship false gods, and part of the process was sex. A thousand shrine prostitutes were kept at the temple for sex. When your teenager said on Wednesday night they were going to a youth group, you did not want them saying they were going to the temple of Aphrodite. Amen? Okay, you could. I wouldn't have let my kids. Maybe you would have. You're a little more liberal than me. Homosexuality was rampant, adultery was rampant, pedophilia was rampant. They said that the typical man, a man because women didn't have much rights, that the typical man, they, they had a wife for procreation. Your wife was who you had babies with. Then you had casual sex with anybody you could, prostitutes, any women, uh, with other men, and with children. This is the context that this letter was written in. Corinth, if you can imagine, was more immoral than America is today. So for God to say this to them and for Paul to be willing to say this took a lot of courage. It may have been one of the reasons Paul eventually got his head uh, chopped off. But before we dive into some of the boundaries, I want to say this because this is so important. What we're going to look at this morning is not meant to kick you or kick me. I heard Al Mohler, Al Mohler is the president of one of our seminaries, and, and there's some things I would radically disagree with him on, some th- a lot of things I totally agree with him on. One thing he said about sex is he said, we are all broken and we're all sinful. Would you agree with that? And so it's easy for you and I to look at someone else that's doing something sexual and go, man, look at them, they are so bad. If we could air it all out this morning, and by the way, we're not. If we could, all of us have issues in our life, even sexually. So keep that in mind. Everything we're talking about, get forgiveness, find God's love. We want to reach you, and you're absolutely in the right place being in church this morning. What are God's boundaries? It begins with this. Sex is supposed to be between a man and a woman in marriage. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2 and 3... I can find it. It's in here, I promise. He said, because of so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. In Mark chapter 10, verse 6 through 8, But God made this, Jesus talking, God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two but one. Here's the boundary. And I know it seems very narrow, but this is the boundary God lays out for sex. The boundary for sex is not just two people, hey, we're consenting adults, We like each other. It's okay. God says the boundary for sex is a man and a woman who are married in sex. Okay? We could end the sermon there, but we are not because the passage doesn't end there. That's the the fenced-in boundary. What are the out-of-bounds things he talks about? Here's the first one. Adultery is wrong. What is adultery by definition? Adultery by definition is a married person... 
having sex with someone they're not married to. Now, I want to give you moms and dads can explain this more when you get home. Sex is more than just intercourse, okay? Don't listen to Hollywood or politicians. Sex is more than just intercourse. I heard this years ago when I was in college, and it may sound corny, but it's a pretty good rule. Before you're married, everything above the shoulders and below the knees is legal. Everything in between is not. Did you get that? So sex is more than just intercourse. Adultery, God says, is wrong. Look in in verse 9 and 10. Don't you realize those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves, those who indulge in sexual sin. Worship idols, commit adultery, are male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, are thieves, see, you're not just getting the people, are greedy people, are people who cheat people, or we might say people who cheat on their taxes or cheat at work. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what he's saying there is not people who've committed those sins, people who continue in those unrepentantly don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Look in verse 18. This is a key verse this morning. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. That word, if you're taking notes, that phrase, sexual immorality, is a huge biblical phrase on this subject. It's a Greek word, pornia, where we get our English word pornography from. Now, here's what it means. If you're taking notes, very important. Sexual immorality there means adultery. It means fornication, which we'll define in a moment. It it means incest. It means homosexuality. In other words, it's an all-encompassing word for for sins that are outside of, or sexual sins, or sex outside of God's boundaries. And he tells us here very clearly that adultery is wrong. Peggy Noonan, a sex therapist, wrote a book entitled The Monogamy Myth. And monogamy basically saying the idea that people are faithful to one another in marriage is a myth. Doesn't have to be, but it's uncommon. And here's what she said. Low she said these are real conservative estimates. 60% of men at some point cheat in their marriage. 40% of women at some time at some point cheat in their marriage. So here's what I want to challenge you this morning. One, get help. Come talk to a pastor. With all these things, talk to a pastor. Talk to Brandon. That's why we have him on staff. Get, get your pastor and any of these things right with God. Get them right with whoever you need to. But God says you need to make a choice if you're a married person that sex in your marriage is going to be limited to your spouse, okay? Second thing, or third thing he tells us is fornication is wrong. What's fornication by definition? Fornication is a single person involved sexually with anyone. Fornication is a single person who is involved sexually. Again, in verse 18, he says, for sexual immorality is a sin against your body. That word sexual immorality, that phrase, as I mentioned earlier, is all-encompassing. Adultery, homosexuality, fornication, incest, whatever you want to throw in there, uh, it, it fits the bill. So what he says, young people, it doesn't, or, or if you're not young, you're single. It doesn't matter what Hollywood says or what Hollywood shows you. It doesn't matter what your friends are doing. Goodness gracious, I wish I could sell this message and it would be bought this morning. Save yourself for your husband or wife. And if you haven't, get God's forgiveness and know that you're not abnormal and start over with God on the right path today. 
Sex is meant to be between a man and a woman in marriage. See, when you, when you get involved with someone sexually who you're not married to, you are developing emotional and psychological and spiritual bonds with that person. God never intended you to develop with them. I, I said this last week, that USA Today article that showed that teenagers who are sexually active have a higher suicide rate than teenagers who are not. There's a reason. That's not, God didn't design you to be that way. God didn't design you to be sexually active. London, in a London newspaper this month, this is, this is gross, but gonorrhea, one of the most infamous sexual, sexually transmitted diseases, they said there is a new strain that's antibiotic resistant, at least at this point. Can't be treated. You do not want to get that. How do you avoid a sexually transmitted disease? How do you avoid getting emotionally bonded with someone you don't need to be emotionally bonded with? How do you av- avoid getting pregnant when it's not time to get pregnant? Abstinence is a miracle cure there. Get married and make sure your wife is faithful, your husband's faithful. And you know what? I don't think any of you will ever get super gonorrhea. Isn't that great? Weird way of putting it, but you need to hear it. <laughs> abstinence is a miracle cure for all those things fornication is wrong here's the fourth thing this addresses homosexuality is wrong is homosexuality a new thing absolutely not rome was saturated with it the famous emperor nero who fiddled while rome burned down was married to at least two men one of them was a boy historians say 14 of the first 15 roman emperors were bisexual, they had wives, but they also practiced homosexuality. In America and in religious circles, you're beginning to hear preachers and churches have epiphanies that now that it's not wrong anymore. I'm not going to name you the denomination, but several years ago, a prominent American denomination came out, and the lead bishop in this group said, we have now decided that homosexuality is not wrong, that the Bible the Bible's just off on that. We, we don't live in the Bible days. Well, heck, why, why not fornication, pornography, and adultery? Amen? I mean, throw in gluttony in that too. Folks, listen, when some preacher or somebody starts wagging the Bible, no matter what it is, I, I talk to preachers all the time, and here's what a lot of times we'll do. If we don't like something the Scripture says, either we've got to admit it or we have to philosophize around it like this. Listen, when the Bible says red, you know what it probably means? It probably means red. When you read John three sixteen, you know what it means? God loves the world. He died for you and He wants you to be saved. That's what it means. And, and when a preacher starts having to explain away passages to justify position, he's taking the place of God. And that's wrong. Verse 9, it says, those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or practice homosexuality, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And as I explained, that's not talking about a behavior. That's talking about a lifestyle behavior that will shows that a person doesn't belong to Jesus Christ. You're here today, if you say that, you're homophobic. You know what the word phobia means? It means fear of. And... I, I, I disagree with that completely. I, I'm not adulterophobic because I say adultery is wrong. I, I'm not fornication phobic because I say fornication's wrong. And, and the problem is, is the church is we've not stood in two places. We've not been loving and truthful. We've either been truthfully mean or we've been so loving we just, everything's okay. 
Our position as a church has got to be God's position. Let me restate that. Our position as a church and Christians has to be God's position if we're going to be right on this issue. I'm not going to read the article, but you can look this up sometime. It's by a guy named Robert Spitzer, Dr. Robert Spitzer, a psychiatrist. He's a, a supporter of gay rights. In 1973, he led, he actually led for homosexuality to be removed from a psychiatric distinction as a mental illness. He's at Columbia University, and recently, though, in the last years, he's begun doing studies, and he says, you know what his studies are finding out? That it's not inborn, and then it's not something that a person can't change. He did massive studies, and what he found out was a whole lot of the people that went through therapy five years later were fully heterosexual. Does that mean a person might struggle with it? Absolutely. Everybody in this room struggles with some sin. Amen? But, but don't buy into the fact that you were born an adulterer, you were born a homosexual, you were born a fornicator. You, you were not. And don't buy, into, don't buy into it that you can't change because you absolutely can't. The position of the church must be love, grace, and truth. That's what we're going to be. But we've got to be all three of those. Here's another thing. If we hadn't got you, we're going to get you in one of these last two. Lust and pornography are wrong. You agree? Maybe. Run from sexual sin, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. In Matthew 20, excuse me, Matthew 5, verse 27 and 28, he says, You have heard the commandment that you must not commit adultery. Man, Jesus ups the ante. But I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust in her heart has already committed adultery in here. My first church, I, I, I pastored, I had a guy, he was a wonderful guy. He was not a brain surgeon. I'll just say that. You can follow me? Great guy. I could beat him at chess every time, blindfolded. And he got saved, man. And he, he started reading his Bible, which was a good thing and maybe a little bit dangerous. And he came to me about a month after he'd been saved. And he, he was almost teared up. And he goes, preacher, I just read in the Bible. If I, if I look at a woman that way, that that's adultery. So I guess I might as well go out and do it. thought I've absolutely failed as a pastor. <laughs> and what I explained to him is is that, man, you're up in the social consequences tremendously versus looking and doing. But here's what God's saying. One, the eyes and the brain are the the gateway to sin, are to righteousness. So if you dwell on something and you look at something too much, you are going to be drawn that direction. Am I speaking the truth? Yes, I'm speaking the truth. Plus, it's just sinful. I used to, when I I became a Christian, I'd hear this from guys. Well, it's okay to shop, just don't buy. You can look, but just don't touch. Men, here's an experiment this afternoon. Go to the mall, find a pretty woman, follow her around, and just ogle her. And when your wife asks what you're doing, saying, Honey, I'm shopping. I'm just not buying. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to touch. I'm just looking. And if you come out of the mall with a black eye, I would say amen to your wife for that. <laughs> How silly is that? Of course it's wrong. And, and, and pornography is, is wrong. And I read you those stats that are just phenomenal. Did you know, that, listen, mom and dad, the average boy starts looking at pornography or exposed to it at 10. At 10. Here's what pornography does to you. It creates unreal expectations. It dulls your brain and your memory. You create new neural pathways in your brain when you are... Looking at pornography and women, it's not uncommon either. 
you become addicted to it. You can literally become addicted to it. And that oxytocin that's supposed to be released when you're having sex with your husband or wife is released when you're involved with pornography. Louisiana ranks number five in the country in pornography usage. Is that not incredible? 83% of sex offenders in prison have admitted they started with pornography. The Bible this morning doesn't give a whole lot of what you do, and, and that maybe that's talking to your ministers, talking to your counselors, but he just lays it out and says, this is wrong. You need to stop it if this is you. Here's the sixth thing where we get everybody. Spouses withholding sex is sin. Did you Have you ever heard that before? Not one person. How many of you are glad I said that? Uh, how many of you men are glad I said that? Thank you, Brandon. No one else in my church is. And now Brandon will be sleeping on the couch. Verse 3 through 5 of, of 2 Corinthians 7. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 7. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. The wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority of her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority to her over her body to his wife. Don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to for spiritual reasons. And don't get super spiritual all the time about that is my paraphrase. The word deprive, I hope you're taking notes, the word deprive means to deceive or trick or defraud. I want you to hear me. See, some of you have been going, boy, get those adulterers, get those fornicators, get those pornographers. And some of you men or some of you women are just absolutely not good sexually at all with your spouse. And that is sin. It's sin. What I read to you is the Word of God, and the Word of God says, don't withhold that. Don't deceive your, deceive your spouse. Don't defraud them. When it says that your spouse has authority over your body, that's not some bully thing. But he, what he's saying is, is that when you got married, you're giving free reigns to your spouse. I've always said when Adam and Eve found out they were naked, Adam was not upset. He loves you. He wants your body. That's normal. You're married. It's legal. See, all we heard growing up was no, no, no. And then when you got married, it was like, okay, now it's okay. That doesn't even make sense. It's okay. And if you are not being who you should be sexually, that is sinful. You never hear anybody say that. That's absolutely the truth. Dr. Robert Green, a medical doctor, done a lot of counseling and work with people who have had affairs. 70% of them say there was a great sexual dissatisfaction in their marriage. That's not an excuse, but that's an explanation. It's two to one men. Women still make that claim, but a lot of men too, too. So let's end with this. God says sex and marriage ought to be a wonderful thing. It ought to be a wonderful thing. That verse 5 again, don't deprive each other. You give each other good sex in your marriage. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. It says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. Some of you go, oh, you're reading that? It's the Bible. If you didn't know that's in the Bible, that's your fault, not mine. <laughs> I tell you all the time, read your Bible. Some of you are going to start reading your Bible. Teenagers, start reading your Bible. May you always be captivated by her love. Man, God says he wants in marriage 
He wants your sex life to be great. How many of you have heard of a Bible book, The Song of Solomon? It's in there. It's about sex and marriage. It's not about Israel and, and, and God. I used to hear that growing up because they didn't want to talk about sex. It's about marital sex. It's wonderful. God wants your sex life to be great in marriage. Don't be a prude in your marriage. Don't be a prude in your marriage. There's a lady who started going to a church. Her husband wouldn't go. She came home one Sunday. He's watching TV. He says, what was the sermon on? She said, sex. He looked up. What did he talk about? Well, it's a book out of the Song of Solomon. It's a sermon series about sex. He cuts his TV off. What did he talk about this morning? He said, well, this morning he talked about the women need to be more aggressive and more proactive in bed. He put the remote down, stood up, and said, when's the next sermon? <laughs> what if we would have approached sex like that through the years as Christians? I know God's narrow-minded, but it's only for your good. Whatever's in your past is in your past. You can start over today. I want to encourage you. You choose wherever you are in life. You choose to do sex God's way. And I guarantee you it will be the winning way today and in the future. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for Christians here. God, whatever you've spoken to their heart, where you've touched their heart, I pray they'll obey you this morning. And for those of you who are here who aren't Christians and you're ready to cross that line with Jesus, now pray with me. If you're sincere and ready, pray and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and that you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. And I surrender, I surrender by faith my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a moment. And when we do, I want to challenge you to respond to what God said. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your life or you're ready to do it. Today's the day. You've got an opportunity you may never have again to come to Jesus. You can come right now when we stand and give your life to Christ. Or I'll meet you over here. I'll be at this door. We can help you with it. But don't leave here without Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you'd like to join the church. You can, you can come when we, when we stand. You can come and join us. You need a church. And, and we need you if God's leading you here. We had someone join after church in the second service. You can do that after church too. But join today if God's leading you too. You're a Christian. I don't have a doubt. Every person, start with me. God's put his finger on something in your heart. Will you obey him today? Maybe it's coming and praying at the altar. Praying with the minister. Maybe it's just where you're standing. You need to ask for forgiveness and cleanses. Listen, all God's waiting to do is to forgive you if you'll ask for it. All God's waiting to do is just wrap his arms around you if you'll just put yourself in position where he can. I promise you as a church, whatever your past or your present is, we want to wrap our arms around you and love you. Let's stand and respond as God leads.